Okay, so I chose that as our opening song this week because this episode is going to focus in some ways on decomposition. Now, it's not going to be um, exclusively on decomposition. It's not going to be all-inclusive on decomposition because that's a topic which uh, could involve, you know, textbooks worth. Uh, entire podcasts could be dedicated to just decomposition. So it's going to be uh, short and sweet, but, um, you know, again, we're doing creepy topics here for our Halloween episodes. So um, that's called the hearse song, and uh, that little line about the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, um, it's a pretty accurate representation of decomposition, actually, um, except for playing pinochle on your snout. I don't really know about that part, but... Um, that song's always creeped me out, and uh, I remember hearing that song first when uh, I was watching a, a show. Do you remember this show called um, Give Me a Break? It was actually a sitcom in the 1980s, and there was a, a character on the show. It was a teenage girl, and I think she was having some kind of existential crisis because um, she was struggling with someone that had died or she was worried about death and somebody was sort of mocking her and they were repeating that song and it was tormenting her and I was just a little child watching it but for some reason that episode and those lyrics stuck in my head and here we are decades later and it's still haunting me apparently so now you can be haunted by it too in case you haven't heard it um, so we're going to talk a little bit about decomposition today and uh, continue our Halloween forensics episodes. Um, I'm going to do a little recap on the last episode, or not necessarily a recap, but just anything that, um, you know, questions that came up or anything that I thought was incorrect when I re-listened to it. Um, one glaring error is that um, when I was doing the podcast, I had mentioned something about the neck vessels, and I had said the jugular and carotid veins. Of course, there's no such thing as carotid vein. There's the jugular vein and the carotid artery. Now, they run together in, on each side of the neck in what's called the carotid sheath. But one is a low-pressure vessel, very large uh, vein called the jugular vein. And the other is a high-pressure blood vessel called the carotid artery. So uh, basically misspoke. I was kind of probably just in a hurry or sleepy from all this court that I've been doing lately. Um, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, I had mentioned that I've had three murder trials within the last week, and that's kind of a lot. I usually don't have them crammed together like that, but the pandemic has um, it canceled a lot of court um, this, this past um, spring and summer. And uh, as a result, when the court 
uh, when they kind of decided to start having trials again, instead of having them spaced out over, you know, four to six weeks, now they're just happening multiple times a week. So I've been in court a lot and doing a lot of autopsies, so I'm quite busy. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to correct was the quote-unquote carotid vein, which is not a real thing. And the second was when I did the description of the hockey mask, um, it was a little confusing because I said that it was a person who was not in costume, uh, but they were wearing a hockey mask and they weren't playing hockey. And I know that um, listeners were probably thinking, okay, well, why, why else would you be doing that? And so I didn't want to go into too much detail on that case because I don't like to um, reveal a lot of detail on these cases unless they're well, well-known well cases in the public, such as I did with my first podcast. And in the future, I'll be reviewing probably um, celebrity type or famous, you know, autopsies and things like that, you know, because people love that sort of thing. But uh, the reason why I didn't want to go into a lot of detail there is the reason um, or I'm sorry, the, the the hockey mask issue on this particular person is that um, I believe the decedent was committing some kind of crime and he was killed while committing that crime. So I didn't want to uh, go into too much detail, but the hockey mask was sort of um, not for decoration, but it was actually to obscure his identity. So that's what I meant by he wasn't playing hockey and he wasn't wearing it for trick-or-treating. So anyway, that's uh, what uh, our main corrections from last time. So we uh, today are going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about uh, spirit, ghostly type things. Um, We're going to talk about a little bit about decomposition, mostly bugs and things like that, because, you know, when you die and you don't immediately uh, go and get uh, taken care of by a mortician and, or become embalmed or um, cremated, and let's say you're exposed to insects, you will uh, be taken over by those insects and you do decompose. So we want to address the issue of maggots and bugs and even spiders and things like that. Um, and then if we get to the time on this, we're going to talk about dismemberments because that's a creepy and unusual thing because um, the topic of uh, our Halloween episodes is spooky and creepy things. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it's unusual to see body parts, right? I mean, these are... Uh, for me, at this point, not an unusual thing to come in and unzip a body bag and there's just body parts there because that's what's been recovered. But certainly for the untrained observer, that is a very um, unsettling thing. And it it still is a little unsettling to me, um, depending on, you know, the case. But uh, let's talk a little bit about spirit ghost stuff because one of the common questions I get because like every six months or so I'll do kind of an ask me anything and then it aside from that when I'm on Instagram or if I do like a live chat type thing which you know that makes me sound like I'm some kind of influencer and I'm selling you know energy drinks or something but um I don't do that 
at least yet. Um, I, I, one of the questions I always get is, uh, do I believe in ghosts? Have I seen anything creepy, spooky, uh, you know, spirit related at autopsy? I, I think what they're getting at is, you know, have I seen like, you know, something that indicates some kind of spirit or ghost at autopsy? Um, no, I, I, first of all, let me say no, that would be, I would be absolutely horrified if that had happened. Um, but I get that question a lot about uh, spirit-related stuff and consciousness beyond death. That's one of the big questions I get. And, of course, you know, I take people's brains out um, every single time I do an autopsy. Um, either I do it or my assistant does it and then hands me the brain. But either way, I cut the brain uh, every single case. And if you want to see what uh, quick forensic brain cutting is like, you can go to my YouTube channel and that's called Knife After Death, um, which, you know, that's what the podcast is called. So I'm very creative there. And you can see what a really quick forensic brain cutting looks like. And um, so, you know, when you're cutting the brain, you do kind of wonder about things like, you know, this is something that used to represent um, the person. It used to be their memories. It used to be, you know, everything for the person. So, um, the, one of the questions I get is, you know, consciousness beyond death, spirits, ghosts, that sort of thing. Well, first of all, no, I haven't seen any ghosts in the morgue. Um, I would, again, I would probably be retired at this point if I was seeing ghosts in the morgue or I would be in, in an insane asylum. I would be seeking therapy, um, or something like that. So, uh, that's a good thing. No ghosts. Um, and then as far as my personal beliefs go now, I, I am one of these people that I don't get a lot into what I personally believe. And that's because, um, it's almost a political type thing. And, and that's not, that's used in a generic sense, because if I say one thing, uh, oh, this is exactly what I have uh, seen in my 1500 autopsies, and therefore, uh, this must be the truth. Then, um, you know, people put me in a certain box uh, one way or the other. So, I guess what I'm saying is what I see at autopsy has no bearing about what my uh, perceptions are of human consciousness. Um, human consciousness. Uh, you know, is something that is occurring when we are physiologically active and alive. Um, and, you know, beyond death, uh, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I, I, as I dissect brains, I, I have not uh, had any kind of like um, spiritual experience while cutting a brain, um, but it is a, a very... Um, educational kind of like it is in some ways a spiritual experience because I mean if you respect the if you respect humanity and if you respect people and if you respect what you're doing as a pathologist as a doctor as a um, investigator of the dead every single brain used to be a person and so I do take it very seriously and I do um I do look at it as a very, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I, 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 
it's very honorable, I guess. <laughs> I, I look at it as a, an honor to be able to cut someone's brain. If that's, that sounds a little weird though, doesn't it? It's an honor to cut your brain, but, um, you know, uh, not really something that invokes, um, deep kind of like spiritual thought every time I'm cutting a brain. I, I basically just am there to study the anatomy and to see if there are any pathologic changes. So one of the, you know, like I said, one of the big questions I always get is how it affects me in terms of, you know, do do I have any sense of, is there consciousness after death? But what I have to say about that is, I get requests from families that I honor, and I do that because I take their beliefs very seriously. And so, I guess if I if I didn't take that seriously, I would. <laughs> I don't know. I, I let me give you a for for instance. Um, so I'm a res I, when I was a resident in pathology, um, we were doing an autopsy, and I was. Uh, getting ready to open the head. I was learning how to open the head that day. And we had already done the body because you do the chest and the abdomen and the pelvis first, uh, usually. And then you do the head. And so as we're opening the head, the phone rings. And so we stop. Well, actually, we don't stop. I'm taking my time to make the head incision. And the lead tech goes over and he answers the phone, and then he puts his finger up in the air, as in, stop what you're doing. So I stop what I'm doing, and I just kind of wait there, and he he's on the phone for about five minutes. He gets off the phone, and he comes over, and he says to me, well, uh, we're not going to do the head on this case, and I say, why? And he says, well, that was the husband of this patient, And the husband says he does not want the head to be done. He does not want the head to be opened because he feels like that her spirit will be taken away if we open the head. He doesn't want her soul to be affected. And so, you know, I mean, I have no, I don't care because every time we use the bone saw, it creates a huge amount of bone dust and it's loud and it uh, it's just another organ that I have to examine. It adds, you know, 15 days to my autopsy when I have to fix a brain and cut it um, during residency. So I was fine with not opening it. But, you know, there were other people who thought that, you know, well, this is ridiculous. Uh, the, who cares about this? Uh, you know, there's there's no soul in there. But to me, you know, I mean, I grew up in an area where that is a very reasonable concern. And the fact is, this is something that has been rooted in uh, in history for a very long time. In fact, um, there's a very famous philosopher, mathematician, physicist. His name was Rene Descartes, okay? Um, you can Google that um, People from my area would probably pronounce it Descartes, but, uh, you know, that's incorrect. He was French, René Descartes, and he is the person who made the very famous uh, philosophical statement, I think, therefore I am. So if you know nothing else about him, he made the statement, I think, therefore I am. So in other words, if I can think, I exist. Well, 
he is the one who believed that the soul was inside of the pineal gland that is inside the brain. And his basis of that belief was that um, within the brain, it's a symmetrical organ and everything on the right side is also on the left side. You know, every single little um, blood vessel or every structure has a, a mirror image on the right and on the left. But the pineal gland was right in the deep part of the brain, uh, in the very center of the brain, and it's a pea-sized gland, a pea or a chickpea, I guess, uh, size gland. And he felt that, aha, this must be where the soul resides. So for you know a long time, people thought, well, you know, he's a smart guy. I mean, he's one of the great geniuses of all time, actually. And they believed that the soul was located in the pineal gland. Well, um, you know, I I don't know how you would test for the soul. I don't think you can do that biochemically. Um, The pineal gland has some functions um, related to uh, endocrine functions and things like sleep and, you know, various hormones and things like that. Um, But, and I will show you pictures of the pineal gland, um, you know, when I upload this video, um, the audio of this particular podcast, I'll try to throw a pineal gland picture up there because I know I've taken a picture of a few of them. But the point I'm making is that it's been for a very long time uh, associated that the brain itself or structures within the brain and the soul are one and the same. So for me to be in residency and get a phone call, hey, please stop. Um, you know, uh, don't open the head. I, I don't want her soul to be affected. It didn't surprise me, really. And we didn't open the head, of course. I mean, we have to honor the patient's wishes. The only time that gets in the way is if it is a homicide case, um, when it is a murder case, and we know that it's going to go to trial and justice is involved. Sometimes we have to override um, concerns like that, religious concerns, um, because um, it's going to be, you know, state law. I mean, you can't say, for instance, don't autopsy that person. It's against my religion if they've murdered that person, because, I mean, you have to have the evidence. So that's one example uh, of, you know, kind of like spirit ghost type stuff. Another example was we had a Native American person that had died and we were getting ready to perform the autopsy and there was a note that came with the body and it said um, to please open a window so that when the body is opened, the spirit will leave the body, pass through the window and go wherever it needs to go. Well, the problem with that is, is that I don't know too many morgues that have a window. Um, you know, because if they had a window, then people would be gawking in from outside to to watch autopsies. Because, you know, there are creepy people like that. That's why the people who listen to this podcast would look in to a morgue. And I know you're listening. Um, and yet, uh, to some people, that may seem irrational or unnecessary. And the fact is, we could have ignored that request and said, oh, well, they'll never know. But I'm the kind of person who, 
well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want any bad karma. I don't want to, uh, <laughs> I don't want to uh, uh, basically go against any family wishes. And then uh, I guess you could say I'm a little bit superstitious. Uh, so for a person who is a scientist and who is, um, I'm, I'm, I would like to think I'm a pretty logical person. And I have to be to be a forensic pathologist and to present in court, but I am an actual. I came kind of a little bit superstitious. My mom is extremely superstitious. She is to this day, and um, I can't help that maybe I have a little bit of that in me. So we actually did go around the corner. We don't have a window, but we did prop the door open during that autopsy, and we performed the autopsy. Uh, with the door to the outside, because there was not a window, but there was a door to the outside. It was like a loading dock where um, they drop the bodies, uh, not drop, but they um, bring the bodies in and out uh, from the funeral home. They pick them up and they drop them off. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we do get requests like that uh, where people are considering the the spirit uh, going in and out. Now, as far as Uh, Again, I reiterate, have I personally experienced anything during an autopsy? I haven't, but, you know, this is a clinical situation. I think that it would be a little bit like asking a surgeon or a brain surgeon uh, the same question. And, you know, I don't know that I'm attuned to, to that sort of thing. When I'm doing an autopsy, I mean, that's my focus is just to get that information in I'm really more in the science mode than the the spirit mode. So um, I don't know. I guess uh, if you have any questions on that, let me know. But uh, that's always a big topic for people is is what what have my experiences been or what are my beliefs on that situation? Um, no weird stuff in the morgue. However, the weirdest I not related to ghosts, but the weirdest thing and the weirdest creepy thing I have happened in uh, have had happened in the morgue was with another human and that's the a next segment we're going to do which is um what i'm going to call knife after death theater a little uh, a little segment that's going to be a little bit like a radio play and this is a real event that happened uh, during my residency entered the office space outside the morgue cooler, and there was a chart. I flipped through the chart to see details about the patient that I was going to do an autopsy on. The body wasn't on the autopsy table, so I went to the morgue cooler. I looked inside, but couldn't see anything because the lights were out. I entered the morgue cooler. clicked on the light, and before me stood a man amongst the dead bodies. Jesus, man, what are you doing in here? Oh, I, uh, I, uh, just, uh, I was, I was guard, guarding the bodies, uh, you know, making sure everything was, like, uh, safe and stuff. The man's explanation did not satisfy me, of course. He was a lesser-known security guard in the hospital. I sent him on his way, and I 
never found out what he was doing there, standing in the morgue in the darkness. And that is the first installment of Knife After Death Theater. Um, certainly a very strange experience. Uh, never saw that security guard again. Um, definitely odd to walk into a morgue and a guy standing there with sort of hungry eyes uh, standing next to the corpses. Um, I don't know if that's some kind of uh, manifestation of necrophilia or what was happening, but uh, didn't see him much again after that. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next topic. All right, so let's talk about maggots. One of the most um, unsettling, spooky, creepy things about the dead body is, of course, decomposition. And decomposition doesn't always come with maggots. Um, you have to have flies around, um, insects. You can have beetle larvae and fly larvae and things like that to form maggots. Um, if you die and you don't have... Uh, let's say you die in a closed room, everything's locked up tight, windows are locked up tight, and um, doors are locked up, you won't necessarily have maggots form, okay? Um, so, you know, it doesn't always happen, but if you uh, have any kind of bugs around or you die outside, particularly in warm weather, you're definitely going to have maggots. Uh, so, I live in an area that's kind of a temperate climate, so um, when you have uh, weather starts to get warm a little bit, March, um, and then through about November or so, October, November, uh, you're going to get maggots if people die outside. Now, you die inside um, anytime if it's warm, you can get maggots. Um, so we don't always see it, but uh, definitely not fun. Uh, you know, the only people I see get excited are the forensic entomologists, and they are around. These people are professionals. They are entomologists, people who are professionals uh, who have PhDs in studying, you know, insects, and they love it. I mean, we will have a corpse with covered in maggots, and they will be just bubbling with excitement collecting these things. It's horrific. I've never seen anything like it. Um, most people don't really get used to the the whole maggot thing. Um, I mean, I personally, it's, again, not my favorite thing in the world. Um, I can think of a, a, a lot of things that I uh, would rather see than maggots. But uh, why are they creepy. Well, why? Because you've got something that's dead and yet life coming from it. I mean, it is part of the cycle of how that dead body is broken down. Because basically what happens is, is uh, death occurs, okay? So it could be a natural death. Uh, it could be a murder. And at that point, when the body starts to break down, it releases... Uh, chemicals, uh, sulfur-containing chemicals. Um, I'm not going to get into the exact biochemistry of it. I am going to do uh, future podcasts on decomposition, and we're going to really get into the nitty-gritty of it. But the point is they are uh, kind of volatile chemicals that we can't sense uh, as humans, but flies can. They sense it, and they will then hone in and they will land 
on the body, and then they lay eggs. And those eggs, which um, then grow rapidly, they look like sawdust, actually. Um, and this is kind of gross, I'm sorry, but they also look like Parmesan cheese. So depending on who you do autopsies with or who you train with, some people will call them sawdust, and some people will say they look like Parmesan cheese. I personally like Parmesan cheese on my food, so I like to say that they look like sawdust. Um, so I don't like people ruining my, you know, my food. But the thing is, pathologists love to use food examples. For those of you who are in pathology, you know what I mean. If you go through pathology books and you look at some of the terms and a lot of them are food-related. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. For those of you who go into pathology, you're going to see a lot of food-related terms uh, on how it looks. I think it looks a lot more like sawdust than it does Parmesan cheese. I think that um, whoever made that up is a very cruel person. So um, fly eggs look like sawdust. They grow rapidly. Um, if it's warmer and if it's um, higher humidity, they tend to grow faster into these, um, you know, into actual live maggots. And so um, they tend to grow in moist areas. So when you have a dead body, you're going to see it growing around the corners of the eyes, the corners of the mouth, the nose first. Um, and then you'll see them in like the groin, the axilla, or the armpits first. And uh, like I said, depending on the temperature, uh, the temperature, and if they have direct exposure to sun, they can really overtake a body fast. Um, and there's an example um, in some, te- you know, in the literature, forensic textbooks, where a corpse can be completely defleshed by maggots in just, uh, you know, like half a day. Now, I'm not a body farm person like I'm I haven't done any work with uh you know forensic anthropologists or forensic entomologists uh, that's they know a lot more about it than I do remember I'm a pathologist but I do you know I have to do autopsies on bodies that are decaying um so my experience is uh more receiving the body after these maggots have already developed and you already know. Usually what I do is I get a report from the deputy coroner uh, or some somebody, sometimes it's the coroner, and they'll say, hey, yeah, you know, we got a body, it's decomp, and, you know, it's already got maggots. And it's pretty bad because, um, you know, you'll come into the room and the body bag is usually... Usually the person is in two bags. So there's a bag containing the body, and then there's a second bag which contains the body in the bag because there's so many maggots that you have to try to mitigate the amount that gets out because they will get out onto the floor and they get everywhere, all over your morgue, and that's all you need is more maggots uh, turning into flies. So... um in a morgue that's somewhat quiet, you can actually hear the maggots writhing around inside the bag. So if you want a creepy Halloween experience in the morgue, um, that would be standing next to a dead body in 
a body bag full of maggots and listening. You can hear it's like kind of crackling, writhing maggots inside of a uh, vinyl plastic body bag. So there's your imagery for the day. Uh, so I hope you're not listening to this over lunch or dinner. So yeah. Uh, so you open it up and the maggots, uh, just like the song we listened to at the beginning of the podcast, they tend to be um, at the eyes, the nose, and the mouth first. And uh, in quite great numbers. I mean, if you fold like the the mouth down like the lips, a lot of times they'll just sort of pour out. And it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty horrific, actually. Um, so not a big fan of maggots, but if you've got a forensic entomologist nearby, they will, uh, they will collect these. They will take them to their lab, and they can speciate them, which means they can figure out what kind of uh, fly they come from, they can, or beetle uh, they, they come from, if it's a beetle larva. And that can actually be very helpful because um, it can tell you if that particular bug is native to a certain area. Um, that is particularly helpful if the body has been dumped um, or if the body has been moved. So, um, you know, this is where we get into the forensic entomology thing. Um, hopefully by the time I get to that type of podcast, I can maybe have some forensic entomology, uh, guest that we can talk to, but, uh, yeah, maggots, you know, how big are they? I always get questions on, you know, how big are they? Cause people are, uh, they always picture that scene from poltergeist where the guy has the, uh, there's the steak on the the counter, and then he looks at his face in the mirror. If you haven't seen Poltergeist, it's probably a good time to watch it since we're coming up to Halloween. It's a pretty scary movie, uh, but there's a scene with maggots. But, uh, you know, they're probably about a centimeter to a centimeter and a half long, and um, they can be pretty fast. Uh, they can be pretty active, and certainly the temperature, if you get more to room temperature, they can be pretty fast. And uh, if you want to be even further horrified, um, they will try, um, and I'm not saying consciously, these, these are not conscious uh, creatures that are trying to do this, but they crawl in every direction imaginable, and um, it's not uncommon for a forensic pathologist or forensic autopsy technician or somebody else in the room to find a maggot on them after they leave the morgue. Yes. Now, I'll tell you, I am extra vigilant about this. I have never had it happen, but I have had people tell me that they have left, got in their car, and found a maggot on them after they left. And yes, I know that some of my listeners right now are are screaming and, and cringing in horror, but that's why you tuned in, right? All right, so uh, let's move past maggots. We're going to come back to maggots because, I mean, that's part of the forensic experience. Uh, we're definitely going to uh, come back to decomp a lot in this uh, Knife After Death podcast. Uh, what about other creatures? Um, you know, if you find bodies in water, you find things, weird things, not weird things, but you know, sometimes you'll be taking somebody's shirt off and they've got like a crayfish, you know, a crawdad in there. They look like little lobsters. Um, I found fish, frogs. Um, they're not alive. Um, 
every now and then if you find a body um, that's been neglected, it's uh, in a house and or found outside and it's been decaying, decaying um, sometimes mice will take up residence in the clothing. Uh, we've had, mo- m- you know, uh, mice and they are alive. Yes, we've had live mice. So um, you have to be really careful because uh, that can be pretty alarming if you, you know, take off a shirt or some pants and a mouse jumps out. Um, I know that's caused a series of screams in some autopsies. Um, you know, it's not that mice are inherently a terrifying creature. It's that you're dealing with something dead and you're not expecting anything to move. And suddenly you have this uh, very, and they're very fast and they'll jump out. And mice you know, they don't respect you. They'll jump right on you. Now, I haven't had that happen, but they will jump right on a person and they'll crawl, you know, up your arm onto your in your hair. Uh, I'm not a person with long hair, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but what's the most disturbing bug issue that I've had at autopsy? It's not maggots. Um, it's not beetles, uh, bed bugs, and then as far as other creatures... I, I'm not worried about fish or crawdads or anything like that. I will tell you the most disturbing thing that I've had happen involves some spiders. Okay, so we had a uh, body which was uh, in extreme decomposition found in the woods. And it was brought in and laid on the autopsy table and... Most of it was decomposed um, uh, to to the point where you saw uh, just bones. So if you think about like the ribs, the vertebra, the pelvis, um, the skull was all just bones. There was some flesh and the flesh becomes like leather, particularly if it's um, dried out and had sun exposure. It becomes very much like leather. And so there was some exposure on the back like that and on some of the limbs and there were some shoes still on, which made it like um, uh, the feet were still intact a little bit. But for the most part, it was bones. Um, but there was um, a lot of you know spider webs and dirt, and, and there was still some clothing. And so you have to treat it like a body. You can't just be like, okay, here's a bag of bones. Let's move on. Well, uh, as we were... Uh, undressing, so to speak, this uh, this uh, skeleton. Um, we were, you know, kind of taking the shirt off gingerly because you can't just cut these things off because a lot of these skeletons that we find are homicide cases. And by the way, when you have homicide cases, you can't cut clothing. The clothing has to be intact because sometimes they have um, defects due to stabs or gunshot wounds and things like that. So they, they're evidence. Clothing is evidence, so they have to be taken off uh, very carefully. And so um, we're uh, taking it off, and then as we are moving it, uh, a gigantic uh, wolf spider comes out of the pelvis the pelvic bowl, uh, that's what we call the pelvis, um, and a giant wolf spider, uh, probably as large as the palm of a normal human hand, uh, it crawls out. And there were a number of people around, and there were a lot of people that screamed 
and uh, I don't know. I don't think I screamed, but I maybe in my heart I did. Um, I'm not a big fan of spiders. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I've had people. I've told this story before. I think I posted it on my Instagram. And uh, I, I think I post it once a year. I usually post it around Halloween, and I always get some person on there, and they always say, uh, they always say something like, "Oh, you're uh, you're perpetuating all this about you know spiders being bad and evil and Doctor Wolf, uh, you should know better and blah blah blah." You know, I just I tire of that because, um, you know, I mean we we have fears, right? And I mean, as a child, I did have an incident with a, a very large spider. Uh, I've told this story to you know friends and other things. but And so I have this ingrained in my soul, in my, uh, uh, you know, sort of my psyche uh, that I have like actual arachnophobia. Now, if I see a spider in my house, it's no big deal. Like I don't develop like a panic attack. But I will say that when I'm doing an autopsy on, and there's a skeleton and I'm not expecting a giant wolf spider to come out uh, at me, it's a little alarming. So, yes, it was um, pretty scary. So, uh, uh, and then so everyone screamed. Uh, I did not scream. And if anyone says I did, they're lying. Um so okay, so no, uh, no comments about uh, you know spider rights and all that stuff. I, I'm I'm tired. Okay, and um, so then and as we're you know everyone calms down and we sort of laugh. Oh my gosh, we can't believe this spider. Uh, they captured the spider. We didn't kill it. No, no, no. We're we're all about uh, you know spider protection here in in you know the morgue. And they wanted to speciate it because these uh, finding what types of bugs they are are really important. You know, the the forensic entomologists and the forensic anthropologists, they love that stuff. Um, And it helps them uh, create kind of like, um, uh, you know, kind of the environment that the body was found in. It, It gives them kind of like an environmental idea of everything about that body. So, um, you know, that goes beyond the scope of what I want to talk about today. They captured the spider, and it was alive. I mean, they, they did not do anything to it. They just wanted to, to speciate. It was pretty clearly a wolf spider. But after it all died down, and we were started to go back to work, and we started to, you know, count the bones and go through the vertebrae and everything, another one crawls out of the chest cavity, same size, and a huge wolf spider. Screaming ensues, um, you know, mild panic, and then you know, same process, capture the spider, put it in a cup. So I'll put a picture of that spider up on when I upload the video version of the podcast, I may put it up on my um, Instagram again. And I'll do that so that I can get the same comments about how quote spiders aren't scary and that I'm quote perpetuating stereotypes about spiders, because I like to uh, you know, I like to see people say the same comments over and over year after year. Anyway, uh, so I would say that that was probably the most alarming, uh, you know, bug-related incident during an autopsy, um, mostly because it was unexpected. You know, maggots are expected. If somebody dies and they're decomposing, you know the maggots are going to be there. But when you're dealing with a skeleton 
and uh, something like a mouse jumps out or a giant wolf spider jumps out, particularly if you're a person who has arachnophobia, it's uh, it's not good. Um, you know, your heart rate jumps up to 140 and then everything's fine after that. But yeah, that's a memorable one, but we got some good photos of it. Um, and when I show you, when you look at the photo, um, I wish I could show it right now. Uh, it's in a specimen cup and it doesn't look that big because it's sort of like scrunched up. But, uh, trust me on this one. It was pretty big. Um, I think... Today we have, uh, uh, let's see, do we have anything else we want to talk about today? I think what we'll do is, I think we will probably stop the podcast right here. uh, Because I think what we'll do is we'll do a part three for Halloween uh, forensics. Because what we'll do is we'll move dismemberments to the next episode. Because I also want to do exhumed corpses. So bodies that we get out of the ground whether they're buried um, in, you know, surreptitiously for murders um, or um, bodies that are buried in uh, coffins that we have to re-autopsy. Well, not re-autopsy, but that weren't never autopsied and that we have to autopsy. So I have some good um, exhumed uh, corpse stories. So we'll talk about dismembered bodies, uh, either intentionally or um, accidentally, We'll talk about exhumed corpses, and then we'll, you know, see what else we can find for um, Halloween Forensics Part 3. That'll be our next episode. We'll try to put it out uh, next Friday. And for now, that will be all for this episode. And thank you once again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode of Knife After Death. And please uh, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel under the same name, Knife After Death. And if you want to go to my Instagram, it's at anatomy and the dead. That's an underscore between each uh, word. I also have an Instagram called knife after death, but that page is, uh, it doesn't have as much imagery as my anatomy and the dead page. Um, It's more of a promotional page. The knife after death is more, it has a little bit of art on it. And it eventually, when we have merchandise, it might show up there at the Knife After Death page. Um, people say, well, why don't you just have your main page be Knife After Death? Well, the answer is because uh, when I got on social media, the very first page I did was Anatomy and the Dead. And that was back uh, almost exactly three years ago in October of 2017. And I created that page, zero followers, and now I've got like almost 40,000 followers, I think. So um, so you can get on there, and I have a lot of great photos of pathology stuff that I do at Autopsy, and you might be very interested, and you might learn some things there. So um, with that said, we'll be back next week with another uh, kind of a bonus episode of Halloween Forensics. So thanks once again.